We've been in a series called uh, Well Played. And uh, in this series, we've been asking the question, what does a life well played look like? Your life, my life, there's, there's a way to live our lives. God has given us each um, giftings and calling and anointing. And we, I want to see you, I want to partner with you to see you fulfill everything that God has called you to, his plan, purposes, and destiny for you. And so that's what we've been talking about in this series. Um, I'm going to do a quick review because this is actually part six. I think this will be the last message in this series. Um, this is part six. But I'm going to do a quick review of, of what we've done so far. If you've missed any of these, um, I highly encourage you to go um, citylights.church and listen to them. Uh, some of them have been good. <laughs> one or two. I, I've, I promise you, one or two of those out of the six were great. No, um, I think they've all been really good. A couple of them are really great, though. Um, part one, at the beginning of the year, we, we did this message, is called, What is Greatness? And we talked about in that, that message how each of us is called to greatness. You cannot and you should not repent from that fact, that you are called to greatness, and you are called to make a difference and change this world. Um, oftentimes what happens, though, in fact, this, this, this um, desire to be great and this desire to change the world, it actually goes to the core of every person, whether they know God or not, whether they have a relationship with Jesus or not, everyone in them has this desire, this need to be great. And oftentimes what happens with us is because we don't know who we are, so especially people who don't know God, our idea of greatness gets mixed up with his idea of greatness, and sometimes we get off track. So we talked about what does greatness look like in God's eyes. That was part one. Part two, I did a message called the proper measuring stick. And we talked about how comparison and envy kills joy. And when you, if you live your life comparing and envying and trying to be and have what that person has, you, you will not live your life the way God has called you to live it. And so, um, and so, in fact, we talked about staying in our lane. What does it look like for us to stay in our lane? That was part two, the proper measuring stick. Part three was our anniversary message. Um, we were one year as a, as a church, and I did a message called Own It. And um, basically that message was about owning the light. Jesus said, let your light shine. He said, it's your light now. We have light because he gave us light. But he now, then he says, own this light within you. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify my Father in heaven. And so we talked about how um, we want to take responsibility for shining light in this world. We own that. Okay, part four was called What's Your Angle? And we talked about the motives of our heart. That was a good one. I guess if I could highlight one, that would be a good one if you missed it. That God doesn't just care about what we do. He cares about why we do it. And actually, he judges the secret motives of our hearts. And if we're going to um, get a reward for the things done in this life, if we want to be acknowledged um, for those things and, and, and God to see them, actually, it's, it's super important. Not just what we do, it's, it's, it's important that the motives of our heart appear. So we talked about that in that message. Part five, um, I did a message last week called Double Down. Um, the week before that, Matt Tarka, who's one of our overseers, did a message on, on righteousness. And I just decided I want to do another message on righteousness called Double Down. And I just want to say, um, I want to do a whole series on righteousness within, probably within the next year. Faith, righteousness, and, and um, receiving the free gift of grace, the free gift of righteousness that God has given us. Probably within the next year, I want to do um, a whole message on that. Uh, maybe in the fall. Because I want to so ingrain this into our culture that when people walk through those doors and they don't get it, I want like the people to get it. And you guys, as, as people who make disciples, right? We're called to make disciples. As you um, are called to make disciples, we will have this as such a culture ingrained in us. There's a, there's a muscle memory 
to knowing, um, to getting out of a works performance mentality and being in a grace faith righteousness mentality. Um, I'll give you an example of this. This, this, this week, we, um, I got a pair of sunglasses, and I don't, normally, um, I don't normally wear sunglasses, but I thought I should get them, driving with them, you know, whatever. And I decided I'm going to put my sunglasses in the visor that, you know, is, is in the console above, because that's a good place for them. It's made for that. Well, I had my clicker for my garage door in there, so I had to move my clicker onto the, to the visor, and I, for like the last week and a half, I have yet to just pull up to my house and push that clicker. <laughs> there is a muscle memory that I've opened, you know, the, the visor where the sunglasses are. I've opened that every single time for like the past 14 times that I've opened my garage door. I've opened that every single time without fail. There's, I have to break a muscle memory and, and that takes time, okay? And so we've heard this message and I think a lot of you have gotten it with, with your head, but I want you to get it with your heart. So we're going to... Within the next year, I really want to hone on that and keep hammering that away. And I don't want to say keep in your own heart hammering that away because it's so easy for us as, as believers to fall into a works performance mentality. God wants us to be in a grace, faith, righteousness mentality, okay? So um, keep, keep hammering it away after that. Um, today, I'm going to do a message that kind of ties all these messages together. Um, and, and I'll just start with this. In almost every message in this series, I've, I've said this. We talk about this often that um, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, that not of yourself is the gift of God. Um, Righteousness and um, being right with God is a free gift that God offers to all who would call upon his name, right? We don't earn it. We don't earn salvation. We don't deserve salvation. He gives it freely. Having said that, the Bible is also very clear that for things we do in this world, that we will receive a reward in heaven for those things. And I've tried to do a good job of making the distinguish, uh, distinguishing the two because I don't want us to get our wires crossed there. Um, um, in fact, I'll, I'll say this. Um, the, the receiving God's grace and the free gift of salvation determines where you'll spend eternity, right? But oftentimes, the way we live our lives, to an extent, determines how we spend eternity because there are heavenly rewards. If you give a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus, he doesn't forget that. When you sacrificially give... And when you tithe every week, when you, when you serve and you, when you love, God doesn't forget those things. You need to know that he's a God who keeps records of the things and he is a rewarder. Um, the Apostle Paul actually talks in the book of Hebrews about people who had, who had like laid their lives down for, for God. They were serving God and laid their lives down. He talks about how they actually have attained a better resurrection. So the... the and, and listen, sometimes I think we can have the tendency to conjure things up. Like, okay, I got I to gotta work hard so we can have a reward. Listen, it's not about that. It's about just staying in the lane that God has called you to stay in. He has a, a purpose, a, colony, a calling, and a destiny for each of you. And if we stay in that lane, we will accomplish everything that he has called us to in life. So um, I've said that almost in every message. I want to talk about today how those things, those separate, they're actually connected in, in, one, in some way, okay? They're two separate things, but I want to say as we lean into grace, we will actually produce more works here on earth. It's not by trying harder to be good, you know? It's by leaning into his grace that he actually produces more with us. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this statement on the front end, and then I'm going to spend kind of the rest of this sermon kind of building this up. Here's, here's the statement I want to make. A lover will outwork a worker, Okay, a lover will outwork a worker. All right, you will accomplish way more in this life 
by being in love with your creator than you would by just working hard. Fear, obligation, and guilt will never produce what love can produce in your life. Amen? Fear, obligation, and guilt will never produce what love can produce in your life. It needs to be of our premier importance and value to fall in love with your creator. Amen? In fact, I would say almost every attack of the enemy on your life, attack on on you, is to get your eyes off of the Father's love for you. Almost every attack is designed to get your eyes off of the Father's love for you. The title of my message today is called Possessed by Love. Everyone say, Possessed by Love. All right, we want to be, I want to be possessed by this love. God wants you to be possessed by his love. Matthew chapter 22, um, the Pharisees asked Jesus a question. And I'm not usually thankful for questions that the Pharisees ask. They're usually kind of annoying. But in this case, one of the questions that the Pharisees ask is actually quite helpful. The, the answer is quite helpful. Jesus' answer is quite helpful. And it gives us some great insight into what a life well played looks like. Okay, I'm going to read this. Matthew 22, 34 through 36. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Matthew 22, uh, 36, Jesus answered. Jesus replied, verse 37, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Okay? God's highest priority for you is to walk in a love relationship with him. Okay? Um, by the way, last week we talked about how we, we've died to the law. And they're talking about which is the greatest commandment of the law. And I made this statement. I just want to reiterate. We're, not, we're no longer under the we're no longer under law. We're under, not the, the letter of the law, we're under the spirit of the law. And the spirit of the law is walking in love. And Jesus reiterates this here. He just says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two things. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, okay? God's highest priority for you, for me, is to walk in love with him. Why? Why is this the most important thing for us? Okay, I'll give you a few reasons. One of the reasons is because being in love with God fixes almost everything else in the Christian life. Simply being in love with him fixes almost everything else in the Christian life. I would say almost, I'm confident, almost everything that God has called you to accomplish in this life, you will accomplish if you just simply walk in love with him. If you simply walk in love with God, almost everything he's called you to accomplish, I believe that you will accomplish. Okay, why? A lover will outwork a worker. This business of being in love with God is of premier importance and premier um, value. You were made, you were actually made for love. Okay, this is part of the design for you. God's made you for love. Psalm chapter 63, verse 3, it says this. <clears throat> the psalmist says this. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. He says your love is better than anything else. Because your love is better than life, I will glorify you. Your love is better than anything else. It meets every need. It erases every insecurity. It erases fear. When love is made perfective, it drives out fear, right? We just sang that a minute ago. I remember in my, in my early 20s, I, I was going through a, a season where I was like highly frustrated. There was, I had a lot of problems. <laughs> and uh, a lot of problems, owed money, relationships were messed up, lots of things going on in my life. And I remember I went and I, I was just praying. I was like, God, what are, you, 
what do you want with me? What do you want with my life? Like, tell me what to do. You know, what do I need to do? Where do I need to go? I'm, you know, and I'm, this is, this is a very sterilized version of like what was happening because I was crying and snotting and all those things happening. But you guys have been there and maybe some of you are there now. God, what do you want with me? Tell me what to do. Tell me where to go. And, and in this, in that experience, the Lord spoke to my heart and he's, I said, what do you want with me? And the Lord spoke to my heart. He says, love. I want love. And I'm, you know, I'm contemplating like the big things of life. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? He just says, love. I want love from you. Listen, more than anything, God wants you to experience his love and to walk in his love as a son, as a daughter. That's, he's made you for love, okay? If you fall in love, the rest will work out. Okay, so today I want to talk about how do we grow in God's love. Not just a head knowledge, but a heart knowledge, right? Again, a lot of us get it up here, but we don't get it here. And I want to talk about how do we get this revelation of God's love in our hearts. To an extent, I'm limited by speech. And I can share scriptures and stories and stuff like that. But it really takes God to know God. It takes the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the love of God. I can give you things and stories and hopefully inspiration, but it really takes the Holy Spirit to reveal this to your heart personally. But we're going to go through this. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, it says this. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses your ability to understand it surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Okay, so there is a love that God wants us to comprehend, to apprehend, that goes beyond your ability to wrap your brain around it. He wants us to have a heart knowledge. To be filled of the, the fullness of the measure of God, we have to understand this love, not just with our head, but with our hearts. Your heart will take you places, your heart will take you places your head can never go. Right? We're trying to go places sometimes our head can't fit through the door, but our heart can, right? Your heart will take you places your head can never go. Sometimes our thinking, our brain, our intellect gets in the way of what God wants to do. So how many want to be filled with the fullness of the measure of God? Okay, I want to be filled with the fullness of the measure of God. So we need an understanding that goes beyond our intellectual understanding and it goes to a heart understanding. Okay, how do we let love possess us? That's the title of my message. How do we let love possess us? I'm going to give you five points today. Number one, how do we let love possess us? Realize, number one, that God is love. Okay, love isn't just something that God does. Love is who he is. Love is actually who God is. Jesus, when God said, I, I want to display my love to this world, Jesus is love wrapped in skin, right? Jesus came to this world. He is love wrapped in skin. First John chapter 4, verse 16, it says this. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Okay? God is love. Consequently, love should not just be something we do. Love should be something that we are. It should possess us. It should become who we are. Remember when I had that, when I, again, when I was in my young 20s, I had that highly frustrating experience. I'm like, God, what do you want me to do? Do, do. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And he says, I'm not wanting you to do anything. I want you to be, be, be. Right? I want you to flow from love. I don't want you to, I want this to become you. I don't want you to go somewhere. I want you to experience my love. Amen? So let love possess you until it becomes you. Okay, that's point number one. Point number two, how do we let love possess us? Point number two, know that God loved you on your worst day. 
like not your best day, your worst day. And some of you are thinking of an example right now of your worst day. And I'm not trying to bring up something that might be under the blood of Jesus to bring guilt or condemnation, but I'm just saying whatever that thing you're thinking of that day, your worst day, he still loved you in the middle of that. In the middle of that mess, in the middle of that stupid thing you were doing, in the middle of that selfish, lustful, whatever it was, in the middle of that, he still loved you. On your worst day, he loved you. He didn't just love us when we're doing good. He didn't just love us when we became believers. He actually loved us before we were believers, right? Okay, Romans chapter five, verses six through eight says this. We've read this before here, but you see just at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we did anything good or bad, and on your worst day, God profusely loved you. God profusely loved you. And I, I, I wonder here if there are some people that are haunted by a, a certain day or a certain memory or a certain moment in your life. And I just want to say, in, in the middle of that thing, God still loved you. He still loved you profusely. He still had a plan and purpose for you. Amen? Okay, point number three, how do we let love possess us? Realize, point number three, realize that God actually enjoys you. He actually enjoys you. In the midst of your immaturity, maybe currently, you're in the midst of immaturity, maybe you're in the midst of weakness, God enjoys you. Even, even in the process, God enjoys you. He doesn't wait till we've fully arrived to enjoy us. He actually enjoys us in the process. How many have, how many have kids here? My kids are in process, right? <laughs> Some days more than others. But listen, I still love my kids in the process. I still love them and enjoy them in the process, right? They're, they're growing in maturity. Proverbs chapter 3, 11 through 12, it says this. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Okay, so you see the picture here? There's correction happening. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son, in, uh, the son he delights in. Okay? While God's correcting you, while God's guiding you, while he's disciplining you at times, his eye is on you and he delights in you. He doesn't just see you for, for, uh, on your good day. He sees you on your worst day. He sees you in correction. He sees you in immaturity. He sees you in weakness. He sees you in process. And he loves you and enjoys you even in the process. That's good news for someone here today. Like, he enjoys you when you mess up. He still loves you. Amen? Okay. In the midst of correction and maturing weakness, God still takes delight in us. All right, point number four. How do we let love possess us? Point number four. We must, um, love must be received before it can be reciprocated. Okay? Love must be received before it can be reciprocated. Many times people are bad at giving love because they're bad at receiving love. Okay, maybe, you're, maybe you're bad at expressing love because you're bad at receiving love from your Father in Heaven. Typically, people who are critical <clears throat> in this life, you know, we all know critical people. How many know a critical person? <laughs> right? Typically, a critical um, person is 100 times more critical of themselves behind, behind the scenes. I don't know if you know that. Or if you're a critical person, you know this is true. You're critical of other people and you know behind the scenes you're actually way more critical of yourself. 
We need to be good at receiving God's love so we can be good at giving God's love, okay? John chapter, First um, John chapter four, verse 10, it says this. Here's a kind of a definition of God's love. This is love, not that we love God, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Okay, it's not that we, it didn't start with us, it didn't originate with us, it originated with God. Okay, jump down to verse, um, 1 John four nineteen. We love because he first loved us. The only reason we have any love to give because we've received his love first and now we have something to give to this world. I remember when I started dating my wife. Uh, we had been dating for about a week. And I loved her. And I thought after a week of, of uh, dating, this seems like you're moving quicker. I, we're hanging out and I was like, I told her, like, I love you. And she's like, really? <laughs> really? I'm like, this is not the response I'm looking for. <laughs> no, she's like, you don't, you don't say that. We're only dating a week. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. You don't, she's like, you don't say that. And I was like, oh gosh, this is so embarrassing. Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, you're right. I don't love you. Here's the fact of the matter. I actually loved her before we started dating. I had my eye on her for a while. And maybe it wasn't wise, but I definitely let my heart love her before we were even dating, right? I was pursuing her for some time. And so when, when we started dating, I'm like, great, things are going well. I, I was light years ahead of her, <laughs> you know? I'm like thinking marriage, kids, family, they're way down the road. She's just like, I don't even know if I like you yet, you know? I'm just trying to figure this thing out. <clears throat> Listen. God's love is like that. Before we even could conceive of his love or know about his love, he was profusely in love with you. It's almost embarrassing, right? But God's pretty secure. God's pretty secure in his love for us, okay? Before we did anything good or bad, God profusely loved us. Let him love you, amen? Not that we love God. That isn't love. That's not a definition of love. It originates from God. Love comes from him. It is who he is. John stresses here that it originated with God and that this realization precedes our response to him. It's like the moon. The moon doesn't have light of its own, right? It's reflected light from the sun. We don't have love in and of ourselves. It is reciprocated love of God's love towards us. Amen? So let him love you. <clears throat> All right, I'm going to kind of, uh, point number five, I'm going to use this as a conclusion here. In the book of Revelation, the risen Christ gives instructions to the seven churches of Asia. And most of them received a, a praise, and most of them received some kind of a correction. Here's what you're doing well, good job. Here's what you need to work on, right? Most churches got both of those, okay? And, and so did the church of Ephesus. So, um, the church of Ephesus, watch how he commends them. He says this to the church of Ephesus. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil and have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them to be liars. You have persevered and have had patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. These are all great things, by the way. He's commending them for working hard, persevering, laboring for him, for his love, Right? You've worked very hard. Watch this, verse four. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. 
Interestingly, the Lord commends them for a lot of good things. You're busy. This church is busy. They're doing things, guys. Maybe they planted a church. You know, I planted a church this year. I've been busy this year, right? Maybe some of you are busy doing things for God, working really hard. And in the midst of that, it is possible to fall out of love with your creator. Okay? His, his instructions were repent and do the first works. Do the things you did at first. Now, it's interesting to me. He's commending them for works, but he's saying, now do the first works. And I'm like, well, was he telling them to do more works? No, he's, he's commending them for the works. But what are the first works? Because they're not labor. It's not patience. It's not perseverance. It's not going through trials and, and all this stuff because they've done that, right? So what, what are they? What, is, what are these first works he's telling them to return to? How many, how many in here have been married for more than five years? Okay, you probably know what I'm talking about. When you start dating, number one, you tell the girl that you're with that you love her within the first week because you're in love, right? When you start dating, you, um, you do things when you're dating that you don't do when you've been married for five years, right? Uh, for example... Um, I got no sleep when I was dating my wife. I got no sleep because we spent all of our time together. I'd go to work, I'd get off, and we spent all of our time together, right? I didn't have any money because I spent it all on her, dating her and going out with her, trying to show her that I love her, right? We were always together, okay? But when you get into marriage, sometimes five years down the road, it's really easy to get into tasks, Right? and responsibilities, and raising kids, and paying bills, and all your responsibilities. And it's easy, this has happened so many times, couples who genuinely love each other, and love on the day they get married, fall out of love, because they just get busy doing everything else, raising kids. And many times, what a relationship becomes for a married couple is, they're, they're married because they're raising kids. And the only thing holding them together sometimes is the fact that they're raising kids, that they're busy, or they're doing tasks, but they're not in love anymore. These same people that were in love, spending all this time together, spending all their money and getting no sleep are now in a routine and tasks and they've fallen out of love. They've fallen out of love with their first love. Amen? And they're busy doing things, which isn't bad. It's not bad to raise kids. It's not bad to be busy. It's not bad to pay your bills and have your responsibilities. Amen? But it shouldn't be a substitute for having a love relationship with the person that you're with. So my question to you today is this. What kind of things did you do when you first fell in love with Jesus? I'll give you, I'll give you some examples in my life. I used to, um, I used to go like out to this cornfield and just pray like under the stars. And I would just spend time with Jesus out there like at night. Like just pour out my heart to him and just spend time with the Lord alone. I would go on prayer walks like in Greeley. And just hang out with God. And then I would find people to witness to. And like, God, what do you want me to do? You want me to talk to that person? And he would give you some crazy idea. Like, go tell that person I love them. Go pray for that person. God would tell me to give, like, money away. I remember I had a, a big tax return. And God was like, give it all away. And that was exciting for me, to give all away. And we've given cars away. That's exciting. When, when God speaks something in your ear and you're like, oh, my gosh. It brings excitement to me, right? <clears throat> I got no sleep. I was spending a lot of money, like giving money away, tithing. I was witnessing. I was just enjoying. I would, I'd be at work, and like, I'd be like, I want to just get away. 
go shut the door to the bathroom and just like take a prayer break and just be alone with God for a minute. And go in there, shut the door, turn the lights off, like, and just spend a minute with Jesus. Like the, those are the first works. Like those are the things I did when I was falling in love with him. I remember the first time like I raised my hands in a church, first time I danced. I've actually ran before with a flag. Hallelujah. No. <clears throat> how, many flag, how many flag people have we had here before? <laughs> Like the first time you danced, you felt like maybe stupid, right? You're like, your brain's like, what are you doing? You're embarrassing yourself. But it's like, no, I'm in love. I'm in love. I'm living in love. I'm doing something before my creator. And I just want to encourage you, do the things you did at first when you first fell in love with Jesus. And maybe you've gotten busy with tasks and religiosity and these different things. Do the things that you did at first when you fell in love with Jesus. Give stuff away let them, let them, the spontaneity is, is a big one. When you're dating, spontaneity is huge. Let's go see a movie. Drop everything, let's go do this, right? Have some spontaneity with the Lord. Like, allow him to just say, hey, let's go to the mountains today. Let's go, let, go talk to that person. Go give, you know what, that money you just got, go give it all away, you know? Do something nuts. Act like a crazy person, a person in love. People who are in love are crazy, right? Remember your first love. You've fallen out of love is what he says. And maybe there are people here, they're like, I've never actually had that. I've, again, I've had an intellectual understanding of God's love. I've never experienced God at the heart level. <clears throat> and today, I just want to pray for you. And I want to encourage you. Jesus is not, <laughs> this isn't cute. Like, our faith isn't cute. Like, I remember talking to my wife, people we work with, they you know, talk about our faith and stuff. Sometimes people are like, oh, that's nice that you have faith. That's cute. You know, your little religion or whatever. I'm like, no, this is crazy. This is crazy. It's driving me crazy. It's keeping me up at night. Like I'm spending time with him. I'm giving my money away. Like I'm doing crazy. I'm praying for people I don't know. Like this isn't cute. This is crazy. That's the kind of thing. That's the kind of faith that God has called us to, you guys, to be radical, to take risks, to step out. Amen? So why don't you stand on your feet? I'm going to pray for you. Let's put up those five points. We'll go over them real quick here. And then we'll pray and, and we'll dismiss. How do we let love possess us? Number one, realize God is love. It's not something he does, it's who he is. Become love. Number two, know that God loved you, not on your best day, on your worst day. Number three, realize that God enjoys you in the process and the maturity. Number four, love must be received before it can be reciprocated. You need to receive God's love. And number five, remember your first love. I'm gonna pray. Father, I thank you for every individual in this room, God. And I ask God, for a revelation, a heart revelation, God, of your profuse love for us, Lord God. I've said some things that maybe have touched um, a heart or a mind, Lord God, on, on an intellectual basis, Lord God, but I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to do what I can't do. I'm asking you, God, to speak to the heart and reveal your love, God, to these individuals, Lord God. Reveal your love in a deep, intimate way to their heart, Lord God. I thank you, God. You create us for relationship. You are the kind of God that create us for relationship. You're not like the other, other religions of the world where we have to work hard to perform for you, Lord. You're the God who came and served us. In other religions, you lay down your life for your God. In our religion, our God laid down his life for us. That's love. And so, God, I just pray for a deep um, understanding, God, of this in our hearts and our lives today, Lord God. I pray that we would return to our first love, Lord, that we'd be possessed by this love, God. And a life well played, Lord God, is a life in love. 
And God, if we make this the priority, if we make this first thing first, Lord God, I am confident, Lord God, that everything else in this life that you've called us to do, the people you've called us to touch, Lord God, will happen, Lord. And so I pray that everyone here would make it their utmost priority, Lord God, to walk in a love, intimate relationship with you, Lord God. And I pray that you would draw our hearts into this relationship, Lord God. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.